Welcome back to 12 Ounces of Sobriety Podcast. My name is Pat Sharp. This is part two of episode four. I apologize. Splitting these up, we just running a little long on doing it all in one. We got a little long-winded, so we're going to split up in two. That way, we're, the episodes aren't too long. And so with that, we'll jump right back to it. Carson, one of the things you were about to get into was discussing triggers with work. Right. So what I was going to touch on, you know, being on the cravings topic is there are a lot of guys that were in our outpatient program that travel a lot for work. Uh, We have some lawyers, doctors, a lot of businessmen that are in sales. And we do quite a lot of traveling across the United States or in our territories. And with when it comes to traveling, it includes a lot of things. One is staying in a hotel by yourself. Uh, so at nights, it's a heavy trigger being alone. Maybe you don't have anything to do for the rest of the night. You're in a different city. You don't know anybody. You've got a hotel bar downstairs. You've got probably a lot of bars relatively close by being in a major city. So that can oftentimes trigger people that um, they don't really know what to do. And I've learned a lot of things in my experience that can help you essentially save you from yourself. Number one, I think we've touched on this before, but just to reiterate, if you are in an airport and you have a layover, you can go to, I think it's go to the counter, Pat. Do you know where you go to, to ask? Yeah, if you go to any ticket counter or any uh, gate gate counter. Yeah and request friend of bill yeah if you have them page that you're looking for a friend of bill somebody will come and find you at that point right uh, yeah. where you are just tell them hey i'm looking for a friend of bill meet me wherever you are you will have somebody come up there uh, that is sober that is in a program to talk to you about that you know that's a great coping skill to have Right. Yeah. So go ahead and ask them that and you'll have someone come within the you know 10 or 15 minutes to come sit down with you. Um, I've heard, and this is actually very creative, but I've heard of some guys who they will call ahead, if, especially if you're staying in a little bit fancier of a hotel, if it's on the company dime. Uh, they'll have many mm-hmm. bottles in the hotel rooms and they'll just be, you know, they'll be surrounded by, you know, high end uh, alcohol and, and bar scenes and all that. So they'll call ahead and they'll say, hey, you know, I've booked my room for you know, from Wednesday to Saturday, this is my name. I want you to put me on the no alcohol list and they will put you on a blacklist literally that you cannot get alcohol, even if you ask for it. So that's a really neat idea because, you know, you can call ahead when you're not craving anything, go ahead and set that precedent. Hey, I am not going to drink. Do not let me drink. And so that's something to keep in mind when you're traveling, and that'll really help, you know, abstain from alcohol while you're on the road. You know, another thing that's good, and I know this may not pertain to everybody, but most of you, it can. Get a text group going or have phone numbers of people you can call. If you're traveling, have people you can text you can call. If you are having any triggers, anything pops up, you're having those cravings, reach out to somebody. Pick up the phone. You know, it's sometimes that simple. Because if you start talking about how you're feeling, that's kind of almost the number one step. Tell somebody else that understands. Tell another alcoholic. Tell another drug addict. Whatever your poison is, even if it's gambling or something like that, talk to somebody else in recovery for whatever substance you're using or a group of people. Again, I alluded to this before about our text group. I mean, we're constantly texting each other, you know, and it helps to have that communication. And if you don't have those people... Go find the, go to a meeting. Get phone numbers at meetings. The every I, I guarantee you, if you go to a meeting, 
90% of the people there will happily give you your phone number and they'll happily answer if you call or text them. You know, that's what's so great about the sobriety community is how supportive everybody is. And I've noticed that on Twitter, especially, that there's a huge, huge community of sober people on there that are truly looking to help. Worst case scenario, reach out to us on social media. I mean, I check Twitter all the time. I get it directly to my phone. I mean, if you if you need somebody to talk to, reach out. I'll talk to you, or Carson will, or Robbie will. One of us. We're doing the show because we not only are trying to help ourselves, but help you. You know, that's one of the key components of the twelve step program. Is you know, if you're an alcoholic, helping an alcoholic. So just wanted to you know talk to people about that when you're having triggers, when you're having cravings, you know, have a plan, have coping skills, and we'll get into other coping skills at some point because talking about different coping skills and things you can do, we'll take a full episode and and we have a our first interview will probably be next week also, and we'll be talking to a therapist, and I have a feeling a lot of that will come up. The rest of this episode is going to be done without Carson as he had a prior engagement he had to get to. So you're just going to be listening to me and Robbie. I just want to touch on a few other things. I have a trip coming up to New Hampshire, going to a friend's wedding. Uh, This will be my first trip kind of since I've gotten sober again. You know, I'm at 102 days. And because of after my last relapse, I was like, all right, I'm single. I have no kids because, you know, I'm divorced, no kids, living alone. It isn't the greatest thing. So I moved in with my parents for that extra layer of accountability. And, you know, I've just stayed super busy in those 100 or 102 days. You know, I completed the outpatient rehab, intensive outpatient rehab. Uh, we kicked this podcast off. You know, in the nights I wasn't at outpatient rehab, I was at a meeting. And then I work full-time as well, and I haven't missed a day of work. So I haven't really even had time to think about drinking, and now all of a sudden I'm going away for five days. I've taken a couple precautions about that because I think I'm in a very good spot mentally and spiritually to take this journey. So, But being cautious, I did my flight. I booked early morning flights. My flight leaving Charlotte is at 6.50 a.m. My flight returning is at like 8 o'clock. So I get to the airport right away. did direct flights, so no layovers. And then all my buddies that are in New Hampshire know that I am sober now. And I'm lucky where two of them Two of my good friends up there are sober as well, and both of them have some decent sobriety time. One, I think, is like getting close to two years, and the other one's in the 430-day mark. The the guy whose wedding I'm actually going to, he's been sober for 430 days, and the other guy that's reaching two years, I've already discussed going to meetings with him while I'm there, and I think I'll be fine, but you know, I just want to talk about it a little bit because it is a little nerve-wracking for the first time that... I don't have anything structurally planned in my life, and I'm going to be away from home for the first time since in the hundred and you know two days I've been sober. I commend you on letting your friends know. You know, in my experience, I have had no problems when telling people like, "Hey, I'm an addict." Yeah. Well, obviously, we don't have an issue with it because we're doing a podcast where anybody can kind of hear our story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, a little bit with all the triggers and things like that, and and talking about those. You need to talk about them. You need to tell people how you're feeling, uh, whether you're happy or sad, 
anything that's going on that could be causing you know a craving or some kind of trigger the open communication is really what you need to have and we're at that point too like i said robbie's you know getting close to 140 days i'm at 102 days and i think the pink cloud stage is wearing off a little bit oh yeah and for the those who aren't sure or a new sprite what the pink cloud is robbie you want to yeah. explain what the pink cloud is yeah so um i like to think of the pink cloud is like I, I liken it to the honeymoon period in a in a relationship it's almost like there's a, there's this restored hope and you're doing stuff to kind of better yourself and given how bad off you were you know when you're using all of a sudden you're seeing all these changes very quickly and you're sort of motivated to do life again. Over time, that starts to wear off. You start to see a little less progress going on. And if you're not maintaining a certain level of like, you know, personal personal growth, it, life can really kick you. You know, it can really kick you down. And uh, what comes with that, you know, is uh, it's the saying that I hear all the time: you get restless, irritable, and discontent. And uh, it, it's it's a, a red flag. Um, and in for me, at least at this point, I can tell when I'm feeling like that because it it is a drastic uh, emotional change. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I was telling you about playing golf. You know, the other day it was hot out. I didn't drink enough water. I was tired. I was hungry. You know, and I'm just like, ah. But so I worked on dealing with that. I drank some water. I ate something. I, I sat down, calmed down. And part of mine is because I think when you get out of the pink cloud phase, and it's called hitting the wall phase, kind of where you know everything was going so well, you're feeling so great, but life still happens, and you start to realize that life still happens. And you just almost got to push through it because early in sobriety, you know, once you get to that 90 days, that 120 days, you're feeling good. You know, you're feeling very accomplished. Now, talking about the, you know, going from the pink cloud to kind of hitting the wall, you almost just have to fight through it. Keep working, you know, towards it because it does get better. And that's kind of the... You know, once you get to that six month to a year phase where you really start, life becomes normalized again to where being sober, you, you're not thinking so much about that. Just make it one hour at a time and you, you still have to live one day at a time and keep it, keep sobriety as the number one focus in your life. But the, the day to day struggle is not there as much. And I've yet to get to that phase. That's just kind of, I'm going off of what I've heard, but you know, so if, if you've kind of hit that wall a little bit, just, just keep fighting through it. Try to find activities that you enjoy doing. Keep your mind busy, you know, do anything that you possibly can. Like, you know, I was talking about the Twitter community and the recovery community there. I, I'd sent out a tweet earlier just saying, hey, let me know how many days sober everybody is. And we're up to close to 100 responses on that. And any of those people uh, can talk you through anything. I've sort of hit a wall to a certain extent, I would say, noticing like the irritation. I think being busy is definitely something that is necessary for me. You know, it's a disease of the thinking. And I kind of like that cliche that's uh, move a muscle, change a thought. It's like, what am I going to do? differently because i've tried at least in all my little uh attempts at recovery there was always this idea like oh i'm gonna figure it out you know i'm gonna figure out what needs to be done and you know (laughs) i'd say the more time that i've spent trying to get sober the more i realize i don't know but uh, one thing that i can say that 
is super detrimental and will definitely lead to cravings and feeling irritable and stuff is the more time I spend alone and less time I spend connecting with other people. A hundred percent. And that's one of the reasons I moved in with my parents because and I'm going to do that till, you know, six, seven, eight months in until I know I can responsibly be alone. And part of that is, you know, I've been working through a ther- with a therapist working on reasons why I drink and starting to kind of undercover those, starting to uncover my feelings, my emotions, talk through those. And that way you're just not stuck sitting in your own feelings without knowing how to process them when you are alone. Because I think that's kind of what happens to a lot of people. And I'm fortunate to, to be in that situation where I can, you know, go stay with my parents for a while until I can get everything back under control. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a certain level of getting comfortable in your own shit, as some people say. And, like, I know that feeling. It's like, I know that I'm not living the life that I want to live, but I'm more comfortable staying where I'm currently at than, than enacting some sort of change. And And... You know, it's very similar to being depressed. I mean, in in the sense that, you know, I did get less and less active. I start to cut myself off from people. And then the idea of a drink becomes not so bad because it's like, can life get any worse than this? Yeah. And that's when, you know, going to meetings and having a community of of sober support is so important. That way, when you're kind of in that rabbit hole of deep, of dark thoughts, you have somebody to reach out to. And it's important to, you know, go to meetings. I know for me, if I go to a meeting that I'm going to, I'm not going to drink that day because meetings are generally very positive. If you go there and and I guess it's with anything else with sobriety and recovery, you get out of it what you put into it. And if you go to a meeting and you're going to that meeting with the purpose of helping your sobriety for that day. You're going to come out of it a better person. You're going to come out of it stronger. You're going to come out of the positive attitude towards your sobriety. And it's going to give you a strength to make it the rest of the day. I think the thing that is important to know when you have those triggers, when you have those cravings, already have something in place to deal with it. Have that support system. Have somebody you can call. Have a local meeting, a home group, something that is familiar to you that you can go to for support and that you can talk through it. Yeah, I think it's good to have like a set out plan in sort of an expectation for yourself if if craving comes up. I have plenty of people on my phone that I can call. I don't know if I said it before, but you know, it's really my preventing even getting to that point. I think is a large portion of, of what I, I'm trying to do in that is you know, talking to other people in recovery, staying busy. Yeah, and I wasn't great at picking up the phone early in sobriety, but it's something I've gotten a little bit better at lately because it is helpful. It is helpful. I find it very helpful to talk about if I am struggling in sobriety whatsoever. And you can discuss that with somebody else because another alcoholic is going to know exactly what you're going through. You know, that's what's great about we talked about last episode with rehab and with meetings is you're talking to other people that have been through the same experiences that you have. And that is helpful. That is therapeutic. It's always therapeutic to talk about your feelings and learn how to talk about your feelings. Like I said, it took me going to see a therapist on a weekly basis. And I'm not ashamed of that, that I had to do that either to learn how to even discuss my feelings and start digging down and figuring out, okay, why I was drinking, you know, any traumas in my past, you know, there's been some things in my adulthood that have sucked. And I've learned that I was drinking to kind of cover those up. And when I would tell people kind of what I'd went through, 
they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I've just, my response was always, it is what it is. That's fine. I don't care. Or, you know, and I'd shoved all those feelings deep down inside. And, and working with the therapist, I've been able to kind of open up. And that's going to help me with my sobriety moving forward. I remember um, first, when I was first getting people's numbers and stuff like that, and first talking to people in recovery, man, I had to deal with a lot of conversations that were like small talk and just, I mean, conversations that I was just not interested in. Over time, the more that I did that, I started to gain interest in conversations. The more time I had sober, the more interesting I became. The more interested I became in in other people. Yeah, and and that's the thing. One of the things I want to say real quick is the old saying is, especially when you're entering sobriety early on, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it gets easier, and I think it goes for all three of us. I enjoy helping others. I want to help others on their sobriety journey because I know how tough it is, how tough it's been for me. And if somebody's having a tough time, I want to be there for them because I I know how beneficial sobriety is and how our lives are just so much better. And if you're getting sober, whether it's drugs or alcohol, you're going to lead yourself to where the point if you're an addict, um, whether it's drugs or alcohol, you're leading yourself to an early grave. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it or life in jail or, you know, you're not leading to anything good. And it makes me feel good to help somebody avoid going back to that old lifestyle and them finding the good in life. It's good for society. It's good for our community. It's good all around. I think the 12, if you look at the 12 steps, the 12 steps work for life in general. You just take the word alcohol out of the first step and you can apply that to anything. It just teaches us all to be better human beings. And that's what I think we're really trying to do here is help those sober and stay sober while we're trying to help each other as well because i'm trying to you know even though i'm talking about this i need help as robbie needs help carson needs help and by us helping others it's helping ourselves and just a growing community of sobriety and people in sobriety and living sober and i'm hoping you know we can start a new trend here it's cool to be sober yeah you know i think the basis of most all the recovery programs kind of recovery you know recovering purpose in life is is what i see or think of as in in all the different programs really and i think service is is largely a pretty common amongst the recovery programs too and you know over time that that becomes a purpose you know and, and being of service makes it feel like you're living for a purpose yeah absolutely and service work could be something as simple as you get to that meeting 15 20 minutes earlier make sure the coffee's ready to go you stay afterwards make sure you know things are cleaned up the counters wiped down or, or wherever or whatever just a something small that takes you mm-hmm. five minutes is considered, you know, sober. Reach out to somebody in sobriety every day. Just reach out. Just say, hey, how are you doing? Or, hey, I hope you're having a good day. That's considered, you know, just service work, just reaching out and being a better person. So the service work is is just very important. One, you're helping your fellow alcoholic or drug addict. And two, you're helping yourself. It's going to make you feel better. Yeah, service work, you know, it. For me, it's as easy as, you know, picking up trash that I see, like, in the parking lot on my way to work. And also, I mean, keeping stuff tidy, you know. If I'm borrowing something from someone, if I'm using the restroom, a public restroom, that is, you know. There's a saying, you know, leave it cleaner than when you got there. 
So yeah, absolutely. Just don't be a scumbag. Be a better human being. Yeah. And when you're a better <laughs> yeah, human being, it's going to make you feel better as a person, which is going to go a long way in your recovery as well. Uh, that's going to wrap it for today. I know some of the topics that we have coming up are going to be coping skills, society and alcohol, um, kind of how the media portrays it. We are also going to start interviews very soon. Uh, we got some awesome interviews lined up with some professionals in the in the substance abuse field to to talk about that and get some get their words kind of you know from a therapist's point of view, a counselor's point of view. And these people are specialized in addiction and recovery. So it'll be awesome to get theirs. I would love for feedback. Anybody that has a topic that they would love for us to talk about, we are wide open to do so. Again, if you have questions, let us know. You can reach us on email, 12OunceSobrietyPod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I think all of those are just 12 ounces of sobriety. So reach out. Let us know. Keep living one day at a time. Stay strong. If you're having issues, reach out, and we will talk to you next time.